0: 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let me read it to you, and then we'll pick up where we left off last week, and like I said, hopefully, we'll finish verses 1 and 2 tonight. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, when we left off last week, we had just kind of worked our way through the introduction and and into parts of verse 1. And we looked a little bit at verse 2, being chosen according to the foreknowledge of God for obedience. But what I want to deal with tonight is I want to take a look at this aspect of the fact that the scripture here talks about the sanctifying work of the Spirit or through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, where we left off last week, we looked at how God has chosen us for obedience to Jesus. That's His plan. He not only saves us, He has a purpose He wants to accomplish in and through each of us. And that's why we looked at the fact that there are works that He predestined for us to accomplish. He's predestined to have us be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But tonight, I want you to see, though, is this. It is not up to you to go and do the things God's predestined for you to be and do that's actually the Spirit's work within you who is going to actually be making this change in you who's going to be actually accomplishing this change and, and this shaping if you will to make you like Jesus Christ so you see here look again we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and then we'll get in a little bit later about the sprinkling of the blood means so what I want to do is take you to a couple of passages that help us understand this a little bit more put a bookmark here in 1st Peter and go back to or yeah go back to 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 there's two places in, in one in 1st Thessalonians and another in 2nd Thessalonians that actually give us a little more insight into the fact that not only has God designed to not only save you but to make you like Jesus it's God who's going to be making you like Jesus just as much as you could not save yourself and God's the one who saves you i want you to see that scripturally as we yield in obedience to the Spirit of God within us, whom He gave us His Spirit to seal us and, and to mark us as His, when we yield in faith to the Spirit within us, it's actually God Himself through His Spirit within us who actually does the changing. It's not for years. I thought it was up to me. Man, I tried to do better and I'd fail. And I tried to do better and I'd fail. And I'd make God all these promises. And how many of us have walked down the aisle and rededicated ourselves to Jesus Christ? I'm going to do better this time, Lord. And we wept and we shed tears. And I've come to realize now, the Scripture said all along, it was never up to me in my effort. It was up to me yielding to the Spirit within me. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Who's to sanctify you? God Himself. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The One who calls you is faithful, and what? He will do it. Do you see it? Here, Paul is saying to the Christians there, may God Himself be the one who sanctifies you. May God Himself be the one who finishes His work in you. Now, in order for this to happen, we have to first, just like when we got saved, come to the place where we say, I can't save myself. God, would you please save me? And we believe that He will, and He gives us salvation when we trust His sacrifice through Jesus. Now, in the same way, in order to live the Christian life that God has predestined for you to live, He's predestined you to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, He wants to make you into the image or allow Jesus Himself who's within you to be able to live His life through you, you have to come to that same place as a Christian and say, I've tried, I can't do it. And God says, it's received in the same way that you got saved. You believe that I'm going to be the one who does this and you let me do it. Now, that doesn't mean I just sit on my couch and say, I'm going to become the Christian God wants me to be. I'm not going to do anything. What I want you to see, though, is it's you stop trying to accomplish it and you believe that God will. And so you say no to the things you're supposed to and they say no to and yes to the things that you're supposed to say yes to, but not believing that your effort is what's making the change, but it's that God will actually do it. Now, with this in mind, and I'm going to show you another passage that helps us with this, with this in mind I want you to see that means you believe that God is going to do it so much that you're not worried about how fast it happens see one of the problems with a lot of us is is we examine ourselves over and over and over to see how well we're doing and the Bible says that it's up to God to make this change in us that means he gets to do it at whatever pace he wants to if we believe that he'll do it we rest in the fact that he will and we don't freak out if it hadn't happened yet but too many of us are thinking, "Well, why hasn't it happened yet? I prayed. I asked God, and then nothing happened." Well, do you believe that God will do this? Oh, I believe God will, but nothing's happened. You ever, you ever heard people talk like that? I remember one time I was counseling with this man when I was in New Orleans, and his, he and his wife were having marital problems, and she had separated from him. And he came to me and he said, "Pastor, I really want my wife back." And I said, "Well, have you given this situation to God? Have you sought God and given it to God?" He goes, "I gave it to God." I said, "Then what are you doing?" He said, oh, I'm calling her every day at work to let her know that I really love her. And I know where she's sleeping at night, and I go and I sit in my car outside that house, and I hope that she'll come out to talk to me. And I send her flowers every day. I said, you haven't given it to God. He said, yes, I have. I said, no, you're still trying to fix it. Giving it to God says, God gets to do it however He wants, whenever He wants, but I believe God will do it. And if He tells me to do something, then I will. But until then, I'm resting in God. And many of us, we have to first get over that hump of, will God do what He said He would do? Remember, Paul said to to Philippian Christians, being confident of this very thing. I'm confident that the one who began a good work in you will finish. How can Paul be so confident? Because it's not up to us, it's up to God. Now, Last night I was preaching at the homeless shelter over here in Melbourne and uh, met with a young man afterwards. People came to talk to me afterwards, and I asked this one young man, he he talked about his relationship with the Lord and all this stuff. I said, if you died today, would you go to heaven? He goes, I hope so. I hope so. And here's a man who many years ago prayed a prayer, asked Jesus to save him, believes that Jesus kind of did, do you understand? What would you say to someone if you were to ask them, if they trusted Christ their Savior, would they go to heaven? And they would say, well, I hope so. You would say, you haven't put full faith in Christ. Amen. You're still thinking it has something to do with you. Because you haven't been living it as you ought. You're wondering if... I had to tell this young man, you need to go back and get all that settled first. You're worried about all this other stuff. you got to go back and settle the first and foremost thing. Has Jesus forgiven you of your sins? Has He given you His Spirit to seal you as His? Once that's settled, once that helmet of salvation is on, then we can work on the other stuff. But you've got to get the first thing settled. And it only is settled by you saying, I believe God made a promise and I believe that He'll keep His Word. In the same way, listen, don't freak out on whether or not you're going to end up being the Christian you're supposed to be. Don't spend all this time examining yourself to see whether or not you're doing good. The Scripture says that it's God's work through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to make us obedient to Christ. If God has predestined to have you become like Jesus and He put His Spirit within you so that you would become like Jesus, who's going to be working on whether or not you become like Jesus? Jesus. Jesus! The Spirit of God within you! Then rest in that fact, folks. Rest in that fact. As you've heard me say before, once I stop trying to Get better as a Christian, I got better. Go to Second Thessalonians chapter two. Look at verses thirteen through seventeen. Paul goes on and says, But we but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Again, He didn't choose who was going to be saved and who wasn't going to be saved. What was chosen was an aspect of salvation. He chose you from the beginning to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our Gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. May the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may He encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Who's supposed to strengthen us in every good deed and word? Jesus, make Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God the Father. The whole trinity is active in you becoming what He wants you to be. What is your role then? How, what is our part according to these scriptures? Let them. Submit. Believe it in faith and receive it by faith. And actually, once you get to that place where you really believe that God's going to do what He said He would do it becomes easier for you to obey and easier for you to yield to what He has in mind because it's no longer you trying to do it, but it's you believing that God will. And folks, I cannot tell you any more than this, except there was a man in in Chicago for years. His name was George. And I would preach to George. He came every Sunday. He came every time the doors were open. His wife believed in the Lord. His kids believed in the Lord. But George did not believe in Lord Jesus Christ. And it would baffle everybody in the church. He'd been coming for, I don't know, 20 years. And everybody would say, we don't know why George keeps coming, but he just won't trust Christ as his Savior. And I would go sit at his kitchen table and say, what is the problem? And this is what George would say. He'd say, He'd say Jim, I know me. I I know that you're saying that when I trust Christ as my Savior, there's going to be this transformation. But I know me, I won't change. And he says, I won't accept Christ until I know that I'm going to change. And I know me, I won't change. Man, I beat my head up against the wall trying to explain the gospel to him. And I kept saying, George, you're trying to understand something. That only becomes understandable after salvation. You've got to just believe what the Bible says, that God will save you, that He will make the change in you. He says, I know me, I won't change, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be one of those people that says I believe and then nothing changes. I, don't, I, I, just, I know me, I won't change. And when I left that church to come down here to pastor in Florida, George had never trusted Christ as his Savior. About two to three years after i have been down here, I get a phone call one Sunday, and George is on the other end of the line, and he says, Guess what? I said, what? He goes, I gave my life to Jesus today in church. I said, for real? He said, for real. And I said, I'm mad at you. (laughs) But you know what George said next? He said, I understand what you were saying all along now. You're right. Something's happened to me. And I didn't do it. Something's happened to me. And I'm a different person. And it's only been a few minutes. It's only been a few hours. Something's happened to me. And I said, George, I kept trying to tell you, you can't understand it until you take that step. Christians, listen to me. You won't understand what we're talking about here until you take that step. I can't help you any more than what I'm doing in saying this. Stop trying to be a good Christian, but believe that Jesus will do what He said He would do and follow God's commands because that's what He said Whether it happens ultimately or not, I'm leaving to you, God. But you said you'd conform me to the image of your Son. You said that it's through the sanctifying work of your Spirit. Uh, Paul said, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God the Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may He encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. God, I believe you're going to do that. And folks, I can't do any more than like I did with George and say, you'll understand when you take that step. And it grieves me and it hurts me to see Christians like the older brother still trying to earn the Father's approval when he says, I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. Just believe it. And when you take that step, man, you won't be able to explain it to anybody else except to say, hey, it's really happening. I'm getting victory over sin. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verses 3 through 8. By the way, do you realize all this is just in Paul's greeting? There's so much theology in this greeting. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verses 3 through 8. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Alright? That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, in this passage, if you were to read it without understanding the whole context of what we're talking about, you would think it's your job to control your behavior, correct? Sure looks like it, doesn't it? Well, here's what I want you to understand. The Bible does give us commands, and we are to avoid things that we're to avoid. Flee youthful lusts. We are to, when you're tempted, not try to fight Satan on your own, but say, Lord, you know, the enemy is tempting me to do such a thing, and Your Word says that I'm not to, and my flesh will lose this battle. My spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak, and my, my flesh will lose this battle. I need to yield to You in this, in this time. And what you need to understand is, is, there are things that God has said that we're to do. But when we do it, we're doing it believing that God will give us the strength to say no. That God will give us the power. When I'm tempted to do things that I'm not supposed to be doing. And by the way, as you've heard me already teach on, if I'm tempted, God allowed Satan to tempt me. My father's using it for my growth. When I'm tempted with things that I'm not supposed to do, for years I would try my hardest not to. And as you heard me share before with the illustration about Elise with the cookies, the cookies were too strong for me and I would give in. Now when temptation comes, understanding that I have a responsibility and at the same time ultimately it's God who's going to do it through me, what my prayer now is, is Lord, Your Word says that I'm to say no to this sin and this temptation. My flesh wants to do it. I fought this battle before on my own and lost. I don't want to lose today. Would you please give me the victory? Would you please defeat the enemy for me? And folks, I then walk away from whatever it is, believing that God will give me the victory, and I cannot explain it to you in any other way except this. All of a sudden, it's done. It's over. The temptation is gone. The temptation is gone. Becky and I have experienced this in our our dating years. I won't go into too much detail, but... When we, were, when we were dating, if you remember when you were young and dating and engaged, there were times that you would be on a date and the temptation to go further than God's Word says to go would be very strong. Oh, and Satan would say, you're engaged, you're going to be married anyway. But we wanted to be faithful to the Word of God and to faithful to what He had said. And in those times that we would be passionate and say, we need to stop, what we would do was not say, well, we better cool it. We would pray together right there and right then. And we would pray, Lord, our flesh wants to go further, but your word says that you told us to wait. And so, Father, right now we're turning to you and saying, we want to obey you and not what our bodies want to do. Now, most of you think, well, we probably just better put the car in gear and go home. Wasn't that way. The date would continue, but supernaturally, that desire to disobey and to go further was gone. And the date continued, and they were some of the best dates we ever had. But it was because we turned to the one who had the power to vic- give us the victory. It wasn't us. Don't look at us and say, oh, you guys were both virgins when you got married. You must be really good Christians. Oh, no, 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 no. We, our t- flesh is just as strong as yours. Our flesh is just as desirous to break God's command as anybody else's. And we've even said, we even did some things when we were dating that if our kids ever do, they're, they're in trouble. <laughs> Please don't hear, that we were, don't hear that we were perfect. But we learned how to say, Lord, please, we need You. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The victory is won through believing that God will give you the victory and leaning on Him, and He does, and He will. Oh, there'll be temptations tomorrow. Are there things that we're to do? Are we not to give in to these lusts? Yes. We are to fight that battle. But how do you fight it? In his strength. What's that? Go ahead. In his, strength. in his strength. Turning to Him and saying, God, help me. You said you would. And I believe you. I'm walking away from this, but the only way He won't keep chasing me is if you defeat Him right now. Alright? If God's predetermined purpose is not only to save you, but to sanctify you too, do you think He will quit working on you ever? Not this side of the the gates is right. I want you to let that sink in. If His predetermined plan is not only to save you, but to sanctify you, He's not going to quit. So if you are resisting the Spirit's work in your life, who are you fighting? You're actually fighting God. Are you going to win? I mean, I'm asking simple questions, but we need to, we need to look at it this way. No, you're not going to win. Uh, what's He going to do so that you don't win? Increase the tactics if He needs be. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. As you've heard me say, and I'll say it again, you're going to be humbled either way. Why don't you humble yourself and let God do the work in you? Don't resist God and have God humble you. He's going to finish what He started. Alright? Now let's move back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. And let's take a look at this sprinkling by His blood. There's a picture here actually of something that happened back in the book of Exodus. Go. Let me read it to you one more time here. Verse 2, You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Now for most of us Christians, we don't understand what this means. But if we go back to Exodus chapter 24, it will help us a lot. So keep your bookmark in 1 Peter and go back to Exodus 24. Look at verses 3-8. through Exodus chapter 24, verses 3 through 8. Now, those of you who have Bibles that have headings, what does it say in the heading right up right by chapter 24? People affirm their covenant with the, People, People affirm their covenant with God. Remember the old covenant was the God says, if you'll do your part, I'll do my part, right? If you'll keep my commands, I will make all these things happen. If you'll be obedient to me, I will bless you. If you're disobedient, I won't. Understand, alright? Now, look at what it says in verses 3-3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Look at what they said. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Well, it gets better. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And he set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Did they mean it when they said it? Yes, they meant it when they said it. Were they capable of doing it? No. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The old covenant was signified and sealed with the blood. God will do everything that you say to do. And God says, okay, if you do everything that you you promised to do and that I say to do, I'll do everything that I said I would do. How'd the covenant work out, folks? Not loyal. How long did it last? (laughs) Remember, it's not long after this that you have the golden calf and all that kind of stuff, was it? Did God know this? Of course He knew this. Why is God doing this? He's building a picture of what Jesus is going to do ultimately, and that God is demonstrating to them and to the universe that the only way this can ever really be accomplished is if God Himself does it. And that's why, thank God, we're under the New Covenant. And you remember in our study of the book of Hebrews, the Old Covenant was a picture of what was going to come in the New Covenant. And in the New Covenant, it is not, we will do our part, and then God says, then I'll do mine. The New Covenant is all Him. And He says, if you will receive what I offer you by faith, I will give you a gift. And I will do everything I say that I will do. Does it depend on us? No and we have been sprinkled by whose blood? Jesus' blood, which is better than the blood of bulls and goats. He was sacrificed once for all for our sins. And we are now in a covenant with God in which God has said, I'm going to still do everything I promised I would do. Now, some of us say, well, Jim, I haven't been really obedient to God. Well, He knows that. And He's working on you. To make you obedient because that's what He's predestined you to be. I say to you, sooner than later, yield to Him. Give up fighting Him. And say, Lord, I need You to give me the grace to be able to be the Christian You want me to be. And all the things that have been promised in the New Covenant are Yours already. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verses 11 through 15. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here... Let me read that again. When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here... He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once for all by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse their consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. Listen, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that He has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Do you see it? We're under the new covenant. And Jesus is saying to us, everything in the covenant I will do. Alright, let me show you another verse that kind of deals with this. Go to chapter 9 still. Look at verses 19 through 28. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll in all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence, and nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and He will appear again a second time, not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Again, I want you to see the picture here. That what we read in Exodus 24 was the Old Covenant. And it was sprinkled with blood. And the people said, we'll do everything we said that God wants us to do. And God says, I'll do everything that I said I would do then. Of course, the people broke the Old Covenant. And God knew all along that it wasn't going to be permanent. That's why He set the sacrificial system up over and over and over and over and over to give a picture that the sins weren't totally fully covered. But when Jesus died on the cross, He went into the presence of God Himself with His own blood, and the Bible says we've now entered into a new covenant, and we have now been sprinkled, just like the Israelites were sprinkled by the blood, signifying the covenant that had been made, which was broken. We have now been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. Which means what? What does that mean to you? You're clean. Keep going. The sprinkling of the uh, altar was uh, uh, showing the uh, obedience that the people had promised to God. The sprinkling of the people was showing God's acceptance. That's yes, exactly. The sprinkling of the altar, as Duke's saying, the sprinkling of the altar was showing that the people will do what they're supposed to do, and the sprinkling of the people was God's way of saying, I accept this, this covenant. Guess what? We've been sprinkled by His blood which means He will do everything that He said He would do. But what if I don't live up to what God expects of me? Oh, don't worry. He's going to be working on you to get you to be conformed to the image of His Son. Believe it. Rest in it. Accept it. It's His job to get you there. And He will. You may... Resist him and suffer the consequences of resisting. Again, he's not mad. But a loving father, what? Disciplines his child. Because he cares. He's molding him. He's shaping them. I'm just simply here to say to you, from First Peter and from Peter's salutation... That we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. What Peter says is this, I'm writing to you people who have been chosen by God to be obedient to Him. Oh, by the way, that's the Spirit's work to get you there. And you've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus and He's promised that He'll get done what He said He would get done. And all that He has for you in that is yours. Now this is important because you're going to see where we're going to go next week. He's about to talk to them about this wonderful salvation we've been given, yet we've been suffering grief and all kinds of trials. In other words, He's saying to them, look, it may not look to you right now that God's on your side. It may not look to you now that you're you're going to end up where God wants you to be. But I want to encourage you with the deep truth of this. He will get you there. He will do it. Rest in that fact, and that will help you deal with the troubles that are about to come or the trials that you're facing right now. Alright, what God has promised, He will do. Rest in that, rejoice in that, and respond to that. Alright, now, Peter then says something that Paul says all the time. And I don't want us to miss what's going on here. He then says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Some of your translations say, be multiplied to you. In In fullest measure. Again, don't miss what has been said here. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Alright? Now, as you may well know, all of Paul's letters include this wish of grace and peace in his salutations. But have you ever really looked at what is being offered here in abundance? Have you ever really taken the time to really look at, what does he mean when he says grace and peace? First of all, they're usually spoken in this order. If you look, they're always usually grace and peace. There's a reason why it's grace and peace. Because you can't have peace without the grace. All right. And so we're going to take a look at what it means. This word grace in the Greek is comes from the root word charis. And that's where we get the term charismatics or having to do with the gifts. The word grace means gift. It's a gift of God. All right. Now we know our salvation is a gift. You know, Ephesians two verses eight and nine, right? You've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works so no one can boast. All right. Salvation is a gift. That's where we get charis. It's a grace thing. It's a gift of God. But do we really understand all that is included and meant within this statement that our great our salvation is a gift? God gave us salvation, and we hear salvation, and we just simply hear, when I die, I'm going to heaven. Folks, there is so much more. And I don't want to belittle what Jesus did on the cross, so don't hear this in the wrong way at all. But if you think that salvation is just you going to heaven when you die... That is the small, small, small part of all that God has given us in this salvation. And that's why Paul had to keep writing to the to Christians. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. I pray that you would understand the fullness of what God has given you. The full revelation of what you've received. That the eyes of your heart would be opened to the height and the width, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. As I shared recently, and I've probably said it here before, I'm tired of asking Christians how are you doing and them saying, hanging in there. Folks, if I ever hear you say that, I apologize for whatever comes out of my mouth after that. Please. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you who? A comforter. A helper. By the way, with that, it means you need help. I need help. I need help. don't expect you to do this on your own. It's good for you that I'm going away, because if I go away, then I can come back and be with you all. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you my spirit, not just to mark you as mine, but He's going to come and He's going to accomplish in you what all that the Father wants. You need to yield to it and respond to it in faith. And if you don't know what all's involved in what I just gave you, it would behoove you to keep opening the gift. Don't just say, oh cool, I'm going to heaven when I die. And then put the gift to the side. I thank God for the doctrine of once saved, always saved. I believe it is biblical. Thank God for it. That if I, He's given me salvation, I'm eternally secure. But too many Christians have stopped there. Imagine, imagine you giving someone a gift that had a whole lot more than just what was on the top. And they opened it and said, oh, cool, socks, thank you. You know, and they put it to the side. You would sit there going, but there's a lot more there. Our Father is saying the same thing to us. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Don't just be glad you're going to heaven. I grew up in a church where that was pretty much the level of spirituality in this little church in New Hampshire. Most of the old ladies in that church, whenever you talk about anything beyond salvation, they say, I'm just happy to go to heaven. That's enough for me. (laughs) And I used to think they were spiritual. Oh, what godly ladies. They're so content. They're just happy to go to heaven. And the more I read the Bible, the more I realized they were babies. They were babies. There's so much more here. Alright? Now, in God's presence is where we experience this grace. And I want to show this to you. Go to John chapter 1. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that, once I ask the question, you're going to understand the answer. But typically, we don't understand the answer. Through Christ and Him giving you salvation, is God going to give you the grace you need? Or has God already given you the grace that you need? Both. But, at the same time, I'm going to say it's actually more one than the other. It's more that you already have the grace that you need. Let me illustrate it to you this way. I'm going to stand up. Hopefully the recording can still hear me here. We've had a tendency to think that God's grace to us works like this. When we're heading in the wrong direction, we then repent... And we come back and say, God, would you bless me now? I've repented. Do you understand what I'm saying? Repentance is turning in a 180 degree direction. i am walking away from God's plan for my life, but I realize it. I repent and I start walking back in the direction opposite of what I was. And we at that point say, God, would you please bless me? I've turned to, into your presence. I used to think that. It's not that. It's at the moment that you repent, you are already in the presence of God, in His grace. He doesn't then say, oh, because you've repented, then I'll give you blessings. It's in the turning, it's in the responding that you automatically enter the presence of God, where His grace is, because it's not something He dispenses, it's who He is. Do you understand? For years, I understood that God was a God of grace, and I hoped He'd give me some. I'm realizing now that scripturally, God is a God of grace, and when I rest in Him, and I am in Him, everything I have is yours and I'm always with you, that grace is always there for me. I don't have to ask for it. I have to believe it and receive it. Do you understand the difference? Look at John chapter 1 here, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's who He is. Jesus, when He became flesh, God Himself became flesh. He said He was full of grace and truth. Why? Well, He wasn't having a good day. That's who he is. All right? Look at Luke chapter 15 verse actually I'm not going to have you turn there. That's again the father saying to the prodigal son, I'm uh, sorry, the older brother of the prodigal son, I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. But go to the book of Jonah. I love this. Go to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. Now, if you don't know where Jonah is, that's okay. You're going to go find Amos. Amos might be easier for you to find. And then after Amos is Obadiah, which is really hard to find. But then after Obadiah is Jonah. And after Jonah is Micah. So if you're up in that area there, you're close. Alright, Jonah chapter 4. Look at verses 1 and 2. This is after Jonah has given the message to the Ninevites that God told him to. And the Ninevites repent. Repent. Is Jonah happy that they repented? No, he's not. Look at what Jonah says here. It says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. In other words, I knew you were going to do this, and I didn't want you to do this. I don't like those Ninevites, and I know who you are. If I offer them the opportunity to repent and then you forgive, if they repented, you'd forgive. You're a God full of grace. You know what? Most Christians don't understand that still. Most Christians still see Him as the third servant saw the Master. In Matthew 25, I knew that you were a hard man, always harvesting where you haven't sown seed, or reaping where you haven't scattered seed. You're a hard man. And folks, too many Christians still see Him in that manner. He is a God full of grace. Oh, truth as well, but don't you understand that in your salvation, He has already dealt with your sin, past, present, and future? That's not going to be held against you anymore. As a loving Father, He's going to be conforming you into His image. And sometimes that feels like He's mad or feels like He's displeased, but He's not. So when you repent from living on your own strength or relying on yourself, anything that's done independent of God is the flesh. When you repent of doing anything in your own strength and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm back. He then doesn't then open the windows of blessing... You've already come back into the windows of blessing or the presence of blessing because that's who He is. Go ahead, Chris. A lot of people misunderstand that their willingness or ability to repent is on their own power. You got it. They still think it's up to us. God gives us the grace to do that. Yes, sir? I think that the product of the Son, when did the Father's grace appear? It appeared before the boy. Even said a word. the money. Exactly. It it said, you hear what he said? He had to pour before he even took the money and left. That's right. It was there when the guy says, you're, you're dead to me. Give me my money now. Most of us would say, "Over oh, my dead body. But what did the Father do? He gave it to him. Folks, I, you, I want you to get this burned into your head because where we're going in Peter, Peter's going to be dealing with trials and suffering and things that are happening in our lives that we don't understand. And if you don't have rooted and grounded the truth of who God is and who you are in Him, you're going to misinterpret when God allows trial to come in your life. You're going to start questioning. We were watching on the news tonight. Becky and I were watching on the news about some lady somewhere here in Florida that there was a sinkhole and her car got sunk in. Did anybody see that? Yeah, yeah. Did you hear what she said? Yeah. What did we do wrong? They drove into the sinkhole. Yeah. <laughs> drive, it was sitting there. The sinkhole sucked their car up while they were sitting in the house. But their first, Her thought was, what have we done wrong? Folks, that is a misunderstanding of who God is. What did Jesus do wrong? What did Paul do wrong? When trials come and they will come. When trouble comes and it will come. Our first thought should not be what have I done wrong? We've got to understand who our Father is. He's full of grace and truth. Alright? This grace is to be received by faith. Not just for salvation, folks, but daily. Believe this is who He is and how He feels towards you. Now, peace is what comes when we receive God's grace. But this peace is what we experience when we stay at rest in His presence. Alright? Now, our salvation by grace through faith makes us at peace with God. Go to Romans chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 11. I kept trying to stop as I was doing my study and preparing what verses we were going to look at, and I just couldn't stop until we got to verse 11. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Do you see that? We have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You're in it. Because you're in Christ. Alright? And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Here in the midst of trouble and suffering, Paul's saying, you can be happy about that because you know this has nothing to do with how well you've been. It's God working to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And it will accomplish its work. You see, at just the right time when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might also possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? In other words, if we were, when we were His enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this, so, though, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I don't want you to miss what Paul's saying. Folks, if God died for your sins when you were His enemy, now that you have been justified, you're at peace with God, you're, you've been reconciled to God, now that you're His child, remember what Jesus said when He rose from the dead? He said did, he didn't say, go call my disciples. Did you? Anybody know what He said? Go call my brothers. That's pretty cool. He'd been calling them His disciples all along. When He rose from the dead, He said, Go call my brothers. Now that you have been reconciled to God and you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ, if He loved you so much that He would send His Son to die for you when you were His enemy, is this sinking in yet? How much more is available to us now that we're His child? Now, again, this is where the the health and wealth people have taken some biblical truth to unbiblical realms where they say that everybody's supposed to be a millionaire and nobody's supposed to die. I mean, they they wouldn't actually say that, but that's what they're teaching. If they're thinking that you have enough faith, you won't be sick. Folks, if you're going to take that teaching to its extreme, then nobody dies. If everybody has enough faith, nobody will get sick and nobody dies. Biblically, that's not what the Bible says. But there's something here that they're taking that we're afraid of. Jesus himself said... (laughs) Ask and you'll receive. You'll be able to do greater things than these. How much more? How much more? Folks, please do not see the gift of salvation as when I die I go to heaven. There's so much more. There's so much more. But what you have to do first is understand that you have been reconciled to God. You're at peace with God. He is happy with you and pleased with you because of Jesus. He's working on you, but it has nothing to do with how He feels about you. He loves you. He loved you when you were His enemy. He died for you when you were His enemy. Now that you're His child, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. How are you doing? I'm blessed. Amen. Just hanging in there. No. to do some hanging Duke All right, all right now the salvation we've received makes us at peace with God but let, let me show you some more. Peace is much more than a signed ceasefire between us and God. All right A lot of us think that we're at peace with God because God's not going to send us to hell. Oh there's more than that. It's more than a signed ceasefire between us and God. This peace is an ex- experiential thing. It is something you're supposed to feel. It is something you're supposed to experience. This peace is a total well-being, an inner rest of spirit, being in close fellowship with God. Alright? God's true peace is His gift as well. Go to John chapter 14 and you'll see what I'm talking about. Again, as we're turning there, I think of Paul in Ephesians writing... I, I wish you guys knew the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. Does anybody know where Paul was when he was writing that? He was in prison. <laughs> he was in prison saying, guys, I'm tasting something right now. I wish you all were tasting. When most of us would be saying, get us out, call my congressman. I'm being here un, uh, you know, unjustly. Paul was saying, you still don't get it. I'm in the presence of God right now. And He's walking me through this. And I'm alright. How are you doing brother with the cancer? You know what? I'm experiencing a rest, a, a, an understanding of the presence of God deeper than I've ever experienced in my entire life. And I know people that are looking in the eye and say, thank God for this cancer. Amen. Because I've experienced something of who God is. Remember how Paul said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. We're trying to live a life with no suffering. The Bible says that that's one of the main ways God helps us understand that we're His and He loves us and He's there. In John chapter 14, look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I what? It's a gift. I give you. And I don't give you as the world gives. That's a different kind of peace. That's a temporary peace from the outside in, and it's only determined by circumstances. The world's peace is not the kind of peace I'm talking about. The kind of peace I'm talking about, God says, has nothing to do with circumstances. It comes from the inside out. And don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. All right, all right, Jesus. <laughs> You're saying that you give me peace. And it's not like the world's peace. And I'm not to have my heart to be troubled. I'm not to be afraid. Then what do you want me to focus on? Yeah. Me. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Put your eyes on me. And folks, I want you to look at everything that happens to you in your life through the cross. Because there will be times that stuff happens that you wonder if God is there, or if He's forgotten you, or if He's upset with you. Always look at everything through what He did on the cross. If He did that for you when you were His enemy, what I'm going through then will not change that view. He loves me. He's already proven it. He did not need to prove it anymore. He's already proven it. And when you rest in that, a peace that passes understanding will what? Guard your hearts and your minds. But what are we to do? Well, let's go to Philippians chapter 4 real quick, and it'll tell you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Yeah, you got it. Be anxious for nothing. But let's start in verse 4, though. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again in case you missed it, Paul said. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. Huh. I have been at the deathbed of many a Christian and been there when they passed from this life to the next. And I'm telling you, I have watched, and actually in some of these instances, they've been able to speak and they'll say, The Lord is here. When everybody else is... (laughs) That person says, The Lord's here. And a peace comes over them. Think of Stephen while they were killing him with rocks. Do you read him saying, Ow! Ooh! E! What does he say? Forgive him, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. I see Jesus. He's standing right there says he went up and sat down at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen was being passed from this life to the next, Jesus stood in His honor. That's kind of cool. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord's got it. Someone used to say, God's got it. We've heard that before. Look at what he says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have a tendency to say, "Well, I prayed and I didn't get any peace." Well, look at look at what he says here. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition, in with what? Worship Him in that. In those times, thank Him ahead of time for what He's going to do. Do you understand? Thank Him ahead of time for what He's going to do. And then the peace of God will come. Not, I prayed the magic prayer and you didn't come through. No, God, thank You that You got this. I don't understand why You have allowed this, and sometimes I may never know why, Job never understood why, but I'm good with the fact that you've proven that I'm yours, and I'm okay with that. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you got this. And you know my desires, and you know my needs. I'm just going to rest in you. Folks, it's when you do that, that's when the peace of God passes all understanding. I was talking to the guys today at Men in Motion, from Acts chapter 27, how Paul, when they all had given up hope of being saved because of the storm, an angel of the Lord comes and says, No, Paul, you will go to Rome. But then Paul says this. He tells everybody, Be of good courage. An angel of the Lord of whose God I am and whom I serve, he came and stood by me and said, You will appear, appear before Caesar. And God has graciously given us the lives of all of the people on the boat. You're all going to live. And then he makes this one little offhand comment. I love it. Oh, when we're going to run aground on some island. He said about a shipwreck... Ah, oh, and we're going to be shipwrecked. Don't worry about that. You know why? Because he had a faith in the one who said, and that's part of the verse I left off, I believe it will be to me just as he has said. Oh, we're, nevertheless, we're going to run aground on some island. Too many of us, when the latest shipwreck happens, we go, a shipwreck! No, Paul says, oh, by the way, we're going to run aground on an island. No big deal. Why? Because he had totally believed that the one who said he would do it would finish what he said he would do. Folks, I don't know what it is that you're going through right now. I can guarantee you it may feel like a shipwreck. But if your eyes are on him, it's going to feel like, oh, we're going to run aground on a sandbar. And here's the cool thing. 276 people are on that boat. And now they're shipwrecked on an island. But God said they're supposed to get to Rome. How in the world are 276 people going to get on a boat when the boat just crashed. And they're on an island. They didn't even know what island it was. Oh, if you keep reading. It just so happened there was a boat harboring for the winter right there on that island. When the boat was being blown to pieces in the waves, God already had their next piece of transportation already waiting for them on the other side of the island. I was... Folks, I don't know what it is you're going through, but He's already got the boat waiting for you. Keep your eyes on where he, who He is and what He said. And all of a sudden, whatever it is you're going through will look like a little sandbar. The shipwreck, you can go, oh, yeah, we run aground on some island. No big deal. Being rooted and grounded in this grace and peace will be necessary for what was happening to them and what would help them understand what Peter was going to say next in the letter. There's no accident that he spent all this time on this salutation because he's going to have to deal with them with trials and different things like that. As we wrap up, let me point out one little trivia tidbit. You won't find anywhere in the New Testament a doctrinal teaching on the Trinity. If you try to find a passage that teaches about the Trinity, you won't. But if you look closely at what he just said here in verses 1 and 2, you'll find the Trinity. Peter, an apostle of who? Jesus Christ. To God's elect, the Father's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, Through the sanctifying work of who? Of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Here in this one, two-verse section, you see the Trinity. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, all referenced as one. They have different roles, but there's one God. A wonderful, wonderful place where you can... Someone says, where does the Bible show the Trinity? You can take them to 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. There it is, right there. All together. Folks... I can't wait till next week. Because we're going to get into some fun, fun stuff. But for tonight, let's just take some time to root ourselves in this truth. You are God's elect. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He's the one that's going to do it for obedience to Jesus Christ. Oh, and you've been sprinkled by His blood. He's going to keep the covenant. My prayer for you is Peter's prayer for the readers of his book. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. How do you get it? By faith. By faith. Believe that it's yours. God says to you and each of us, I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. Stop thinking you have to earn it and receive it by faith. Let me pray for us. Father, again, thank you for the chance to just spend another week looking at these two verses. Father, thank You for the way in which Your Word, just from cover to cover, from Exodus all the way through to the Thessalonians, shows us how it all ties together, how the answers are here, if we'll take the time to let You teach us. Father, I thank You that You have given me this role and the gifting in order to do this. But Lord, I also pray that nobody will rest on, I can't wait to see what Jim says next week. Father, may we take what it is that we've been given tonight and spend time with You and allow You to speak to our hearts about some of these things. Father, may they take root in our lives in such a way, in our hearts in such a way, that when we have the next shipwreck, we can just offhandedly say, oh yeah, we're probably going to run aground on some island. No big deal. Because the one who has started this work will finish it. And he will, he's good. He's covenanted with me that he will do it. And I thank him that he will. And Father, thank you that you don't just give us something to hang on to in a word. You've promised us an experiential peace. Forgive us for thinking that we have to ask you for your grace. May we receive it by faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.